that testimony of Christ and who he is. Today we're moving into our series on margin, and I want to begin by asking you some questions here just to set the tone. How many of you would say you often feel stressed? You feel stressed, you know, raising your hand relieves stress. Go ahead, put your hand up, let me see. Okay, yeah, yeah, some of you are raising both hands. How many of you would say you often feel financial tension or stress? Vacation time is here, economy's a little tight, anybody, vacation's not going to be what they have in the past? Okay, some of you. Uh, how many of you would say you feel crunched for time? I need more time, time for myself, time for my family, more time for work even. Yeah, yeah, lots of you. You know, we live in a culture that pushes us to the limit. Do more, work more, buy more, get more, spend more, 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 more. And the result is, is most of us, even as believers, most of us are living an unbiblical and an unsustainable pace. I mean, it is insane what normal is today for us. Uh, So much so that even our kids, uh, seven and eight-year-old kids, on top of school, on top of homework, uh, are, are out four or five nights a week with activities, not to mention everything they do on the weekend. And the insane schedule that we impose on our children, we also impose on us as parents because not many eight-year-olds can drive. So the kids are stressed, the parents are stressed. You know, someone asked you, are you enjoying life? I don't have time to answer that question. i got places i got to go. Virtually everybody I know has very little margin in their life. We are stretched to the breaking point. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what is margin exactly? Well, on your notes, we've we've got a definition for you. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. For instance, if you have 30 minutes to get somewhere and it only takes you 20 minutes to get there, you have 10 minutes of margin time. If you have $100 cash and $80 worth of bills, you have $20 worth of financial margin. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. Now, how does margin play out in everyday life? Well, if you have no margin in your life, you find yourself being 5 to 10 minutes late to everything. Margin would be showing up 5 or 10 minutes early, and you're not stressed all the time. Financial margin would be having money left over at the end of the month. Some of you are going, what in the world is that? Money left over at the end of the month? Well, that's financial margin. Spiritual margin is having distance between you and temptation. Rather than than living life morally on the edge, on on the edge of the cliff all the time, Margin is having preset buffers. It's having safety zones in your life that keep you from stumbling or falling into life-destructive behavior. Emotional margin is having the emotional capacity to deal with problems, to deal with the crisis that come up in life. You know, your kid does something wrong, you don't blow up and explode all over them. You don't unleash your emotional stress on other people because you're stretched to your emotional limits. Emotional margin is the capacity to deal with those things. Margin could be having three or four evenings a week where you have nothing on your schedule. Margin could be having extra time, extra money 
to invest or extra money and time to give to people or ministries that you love. Margin could be having time to think and reflect and meditate and dream. Margin could be having a significant time with God. Not just a quick God bless this meal and help me get through this day, amen, but significant time. Meditating on his word, communing, listening, conversing with God. Simply put, margin is what most of us do not have. You know, as I describe that for many of you, that, that idea, that lifestyle is foreign. But I'm convinced that the best things in life happen in the margins. Now, I want to give you, an, I'm going to illustrate this for you today with a story. It has biblical roots, but as I pondered this story this week, I thought it would actually make a great Duck Dynasty episode. Anybody here watch Duck Dynasty? If you watch Duck Dynasty, put your hands up. All the rest of you yuppies, you are missing out. You are missing out. If you don't know, Duck Dynasty is the story of a family down in Louisiana. They make duck calls for a living, and the TV show is just crazy stories about their life. There are two brothers in the story. That's who we're going to focus on today. There's Brother Willie and Brother Jace. And I want you just to imagine with me, like I did this week, that every Father's Day, Willie and Jace host a cookout at Willie's house. And they invite their extended family. They invite some friends, some neighbors, uh, even some people from work. And Willie and Jace put on this big cookout every year, brats, burgers, potato salad, iced tea. It's a big, big deal, especially for Willie. And this particular year, they have a special guest who shows up at their cookout. Jesus comes to their cookout. So everybody's sitting around on the deck. They're milling around in the yard. The coals are getting just right to put on the brats and the burgers. When Jesus pulls up a chair on the deck, sits down, and begins to teach. And so people put down their frisbees. They put down their bean bags, their lawn darts, their shotguns. <laughs> and they all converge on the deck to listen to what Jesus has to say. And everyone is there except Willie. Willie is in the kitchen with 10 pounds of ground beef making hamburger patties. Okay, everybody do this. This is an interactive story, okay? So we're all, we're all making hamburger patties. That's good. And all of a sudden, Willie looks around and realizes that he is alone in the kitchen. I mean, his wife stopped making potato salad. His kids stopped putting ice in the glasses. His sister-in-law didn't finish the veggie tray. And his brother, Jake, he gone. And Willie is there in the kitchen alone. And he looks out the kitchen window onto the deck and he sees Jace sitting in the front row. Not even in a lawn chair, he's just sitting on the deck at Jesus' feet, looking up at Jesus, listening to what he has to say. And behind Jace, Willie sees what looks like to him as an ocean of people. And Willie thinks, we have got to feed all those people. When Jesus is done teaching, they're going to realize they're hungry. They're going to want something to eat. We are the host. We invited them. We have an obligation to feed them. And Jace is not helping. So Willie stomps out onto the deck and right in front of everybody says to Jesus, will you tell this brother of mine to get up off his lazy butt and get in that kitchen and help me because we need to feed these people. So what does Jesus say in response to Willie's question? 
Well, this is where the story moves from fact to fiction. This is where it moves from A and E to the Bible. Because there's a Bible story where this actually, actually happened. Uh, we, we know what Jesus' response would be in this situation. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, got your phones, turn there. You know, I, I tried to make this a story about two brothers because it's Father's Day. And so I wanted to kind of man this up a little bit. But in Luke 10, it's a story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Starting at verse 38, here's what Scripture says. It says, If Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Two women, exact same opportunity, Mary and Martha. Jesus, the Son of God, present in their home. He's at their cookout. He's on their deck. And Mary created a moment. I mean, she had things to do. There was potato salad to make. There was ice to put in glasses. There were hamburger patties to make. Everybody? Okay. Yeah. Mary decided that she was not going to do that. She decided to embrace this moment and enjoy Jesus. Just like Jace did in my little story. But Martha, on the other hand, was like Willie. She's like many of us. Martha was distracted by all the things that needed to be done. And notice these were things that needed to be done. Martha is not distracted by things that are bad, evil, or sinful. She was distracted by what we would see as good things. You know, she and Willie have guests who have needs. And many of us would be distracted by the same thing. I mean, Martha's thinking Jesus is in the house. He's the Son of God. I better get out the good dishes. Willie's thinking Jesus is here. These burgers have got to be good. God forbid I screw up this meal with Jesus in the house. I mean, everything has to be just right. So Martha and Willie were distracted by good things that took their attention away from the best things. Here's, here's the principle. If Satan cannot make us really, really bad, he will try to make us really, really busy. That's what Satan's doing in your life. He's not making you really, really bad. He's just making you really, really busy doing good things so that you miss out on the best things. We are consumed, we are obsessed, possessed with accomplishing the urgent to the point that we miss the most important things in life. Folks, there is a difference between urgent and important. Mary and Martha are in this situation. Same one Willie and Jace are in, same one many of us are in. And in verse 40, Martha comes running to Jesus and asks him, same question, same outburst that Willie had, same question that you may ask. Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now Martha and Willie are absolutely convinced that they are doing what's right. They, they are doing the important thing. I mean, I'm here doing all the work and my sibling is just sitting there being lazy. Jesus, take my side. You know, I can't tell you how many times I, I talk to people, talk to families, and, and just, oh, I don't have time to go to church every weekend. 
I don't have time to be in a small group. I don't have time to read my Bible and study it every day and pray. I mean, I have things to do. People are counting on me. And therein lies the greatest challenge as I teach this series on margin. When I teach on this, most of you are going to be convinced that the way you are living is necessary and right. You are going to think that you are doing what needs to be done. I have all this to do. People are counting on me. And you're going to think, this is the way we have to live. I mean, busyness is the way to success, isn't it? And all these kids' activities, that's what it takes to be a good parent. Working all these hours, you've got to make a living. And you are convinced with everything that is in you that this crazy, whacked-out schedule that you are living is completely necessary. It's necessary to be successful, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good mother, to be a good father, to be a good person. Everybody's doing it. And we forget that broad is the road and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many people are on it. But narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few people even find it. Why do we think that what everyone else does is God's best? That's why Paul wrote Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what we're going to talk about here in the next few weeks is going to rattle, maybe even offend some of you. You know, most of you, quite honestly, you're just going to shake it off and you're going to think, oh, yeah, that's something to consider. Maybe I need to make some minor changes. But I tell you, if making minor changes would do it, you would have already made them. But I'm not pushing for minor changes. I'm going to talk about radical, life-altering decisions. Because I am convinced with all my heart that the way most of us are living is completely contrary to what God has planned for us. Jesus, tell her, tell him to help me. I'm right, I'm right. This is the way it should be. Look what Jesus says in Luke 10, 41. Jesus answers Martha. He answers Brother Willie. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Any of you worried and upset about many things? Yeah, here's what Jesus says. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He says, he says Willie, Willie, your workaholic mindset has missed the moment. You're sacrificing the important on the altar of the urgent. Is that what Jesus would say if he looked into your life? Have you, like Mary, chosen chosen what's better what's best have you made that choice because here's what you need to understand you need to understand that the choice is yours the choice is yours now don't turn your outline over too quick I know we're there at the bottom but I want you to ponder that statement for just a little bit I mean there is power in that statement because the choice is yours and some of you are going to be tempted to push back on that truth throughout this whole series. You're going to be saying, you're going to be thinking, Kelly, you don't understand. You only work one day a week. 
You don't understand what it's like out there in the world. You don't have little kids anymore. You don't have my bills. You don't understand what I'm going through. I'm sorry. The choice is yours. Oh, but my boss, man, he... No. The choice is yours. And the question is, is are you going to choose what is best? Are you going to choose what can never be taken away from you? That's why it's such an important choice. Go ahead and turn your outline over. Let's look at what happens when we choose to live a marginless life. What happens when, when our margin decreases? Well, number one, when margin decreases, your stress increases. When your time margin decreases and you're running late, what happens? Your stress increases. You know, some of you, on your way to church today, you were running late. wasn't your fault. Somebody in your house just wasn't prepared. Somebody didn't get ready on time. And so your margin decreased and your stress increased and you wind up saying unkind things in the car on the way to church. And you wind up at church in a less than worshipful attitude. Don't poke them, just take it. Okay? Because a lack of margin increases stress. You know, if your financial margin decreases, what happens in your marriage? You start fighting over money. You spent how much on what? You know, as your margin decreases, something breaks. Now you've got two problems. Not only is it broken, now you've got to pay to fix it. Financial margin decreases, your stress increases. Second thing that happens on your notes, as your margin decreases, your relational intimacy also decreases. As margin decreases, your relationships suffer. I mean, you see it all the time. You know, those of you who are busy and you're, you're uh, frustrated, you're over-challenged, you know, your mind rarely disengages from the things you think are important. You can be with someone you love, but you're not really with them. You are present in the body, but you are absent in your mind. You know, you go on vacation, you're still back at work. I mean, how many times, we've seen this, it's gotten to be almost uh, funny for us, but you know, you're out, you're eating out somewhere, and you see a family having dinner together, and you look over at the table, and there's four people seated at the table, and all four people are on their phone. You know, one of them's uh, emailing, one of them's Facebooking, one of them's texting, you know, one of them is tweeting, uh, eating out with my family. No, you're not. (laughs) You're just playing with your little Twitter thingy. Quit playing with your Twitter thingy. Some of you just tweeted. Pastor Kelly said, quit playing with your Twitter thingy. (laughs) As your margin decreases, your relational intimacy decreases, not just with people, but with God. I mean, how many times do I run into people and say, you know, hey, we haven't seen you at church in a while. Oh, man, we are just so busy. We are just so busy. You know, they used to have time for God, used to have time for His Word, used to have time for God's people. Now they're too busy, too busy for people, too busy for God. Why do we think that's normal? Why do we think that's healthy? Why do so many of us live marginless lives? Why do so many of us plan on slowing down one day, but we never do it? Why do so few of us sell the house or sell the car that we can't afford in order to gain some financial margin? Why do we say money doesn't make us happy, but then we pour our life, our energy, our resources into trying to get more of it? Why do we not radically cut back on our schedules to spend time, actually spend time with 
children who will be grown and gone in the blink of an eye. See, the bottom line in this is that most of us do not fully trust God. It's a matter of faith. We don't have enough faith to believe. God is on the throne. He will handle the details of life. And His way of life is better. It's best. We're afraid that if we're not going, 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 doing, 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 we're going to miss out on something out there that will fill that void that we feel so deeply in our hearts. Why is it most of us make more money now than we've made in our entire lives and yet our financial stress is higher than it's ever been? Why is it you have better opportunities to do greater things and yet you're more empty and more exhausted? Why? Because we are filling our lives with things that can be taken away from us. We're filling our life with, with good things instead of supreme things. We are distracted by production and worldliness and materialism and consumerism. Got to have a bigger house. It'll help our marriage. Got to have a bigger car. It'll help my uh, self-image. Got to go to the meeting, work the extra hours. That way they'll promote me. Got to have our kids in all these activities because that's being a good parent. Got to work out in order to have the perfect body. Got to do all these things. I've got to produce more and more and more because I am so empty. I mean, it's insane. And it's killing our marriages and killing our families. It is not what God intended. It is not the abundant life that Jesus Christ calls us to. And so we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting next few weeks. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push you like you haven't been pushed in a long time. And sadly, most of you, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, folks, most of you are not going to change. But some of you are. Some of you are going to see it, you are going to hear it, you are going to feel it, you are going to get it. And you are going to make a decision that you will no longer be conformed to the image of this world, but you are going to choose to live in the way that God desires for us to live. You are going to live in the rhythms of God's grace. You're going to choose what is best, even over good and better. Now, our Come to Jesus meeting is found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who are stressed out, overwhelmed, can't get it all done. Come to me, single parents who are about to fall apart. Come to me, business guy who's afraid you're going to lose it all. Come to me, mom who has no margin for herself. Come to me, dad who is stretched to the limit. Come to me, all who are busy all the time. And Jesus said, come to me, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to try and learn from Jesus. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Say that phrase with me, rest for your souls. A lot of us don't even know what that feels like. I mean, you go on vacation to rest and, and you spend the whole time bungee jumping and skydiving and shopping to the point where you've got to take, come back to work in order to rest up from your vacation. You go on vacation for six days. It takes you the first three days to unwind and then you realize you only got three days left and so you wind it back up again. You never really find rest for your souls and my heart aches for you and so does the heart of God. 
That is not how he intends for you to live. You know, those of you who are single can fall victim to this the most. I mean, you, know, you just feel like if I don't have something go on all the time, th- then I- I'm insignificant. I've got to have something go on all the time or I will be alone. Moms, I hear moms all the time. I just don't have any time for me. But if I did do something for me, I would feel guilty because I've got all these other people I'm supposed to take care of. Men. Just, you know, I've got to make more, earn more, achieve more. I've got to be gone more because that will show love to my family. More things, more money, gone more. That's love. Psalm 46.10 says this. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know how to be still? Now, if I come on hard on this through this series, it's because I have fought a decades-long battle with workaholism. I have spent decades of my life working full-time, going to school full-time, and being a part-time husband and father. I mean, I get this. I get this. My family bears the wounds of this. So I understand it. I really do. And I am learning how to win this battle. I really am. And so here's your assignment for this week. Every day this week, I want you to be still for five minutes a day. I want you to be still, not while you're driving to work, okay? Not while you're waiting for a phone call, not while you're waiting for a document to print, or not while you're waiting for the microwave to ding. I want you to carve out a specific five-minute segment that is dedicated to God for you to be still. And know that God is God. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, this will be easy. Some of you are thinking, well, this is even silly. This is just five minutes. This is silly. Some of you are going to start this process, and it's going to be 30 seconds, and you're going to be thinking, is this over yet? Because five minutes is far longer than you think. And it's a simple assignment, five minutes a day, where you don't produce anything, you don't think anything, you don't plan anything. You just be still in God's presence. You dedicate it unto Him. You leave the laundry undone. You don't answer the phone. Kids knocking on the door. Emails unchecked. Listen, folks, Facebook can survive five minutes without you looking at it. You're not allowed to Twitter while you're doing it. Hey, I'm doing five minutes alone. I'm 30 seconds into it. This is going really great. How's it going for you? No, you just be still for five minutes. And for some of you, it will be the first and a very significant step into creating more margin. Here's where we're going in this series. First week, this week, we're going to introduce the idea of margin. Second week, we're going to talk about scheduling margin. Because most of us will say, I don't have time to do this stuff. But the truth is, you have time for what you choose to have time for. And next week, we are going to make some very significant time commitment decisions. We're going to push you on your scheduling margin. Week three, we're going to talk about financial margin, because most of us have none. You know, financial pressure is real in this materialistic world, but I'm going to show you how you can create financial margin. Again, it's simple. It is not easy. 
But it's simple, and your life can be transformed if you just begin to create financial margin. In week four, we're going to talk about moral margin. Because people, believers, are falling into, stumbling into dangerous, life-destructive sin. Because they have, they have no margin. There's no buffer between them and temptation. You know, when our schedules are crammed full and our finances are stretched tight, we become stressed. And many people will relieve themselves with sin. They, they, they think it's going to be an escape, but instead it turns up to be a trap that destroys their lives. So we're going to build moral margin into our lives. We're going to stop seeking meaning from the things of the world. We're going to stop putting our focus on things that can be taken away from us, and we're going to learn to focus on the best, the things that can't be taken away. So I want you to start out this week, five minutes a day, every day this week. Start today. And here's what God will do as you seek him. Look at Isaiah 58, 11. It says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You know, you stop living according to the pattern of this world and you start living according to the rhythm of God's grace, you will find rest. You will find something you can never lose. Let's pray together. Father, we would admit today that, that we are busy. We are busy doing good. And so we pray that you would help us to rest in the best. God, we confess that our priorities have been our priorities. They've not been your priorities. And so we are living outside of the umbrella of your protection. We're living in our own strength apart from your strength. God, we are living in our own power apart from grace. And so today we confess that, we repent, and we ask you to come into our lives and give us, give us the strength to trust in you, to slow down, to listen, to live life according to your pace and your pattern so that we can find rest for our souls. Father, we thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Flat on my face Back through the door Pride is humble I thought I had enough before, but now I know I need you more. Many years we have talked side by side, we have walked. You've been my friend, my savior, my rock. Come back again, bring what I long. Cause I need you now, more than ever. I need you now.
now I know I need you more. Would you all stand, please? Many years we have talked side by side. We have walked. You've been my friend, my savior, my rock. Come back again. 